It is Thursday, December 8th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 14 Preview Pod. I'm your host, Matt Schaap. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. Jared, we got a Thursday night game where the most discussed thing right now is whether and what role Baker Mayfield is going to play two days after becoming a member of the Rams. It doesn't really matter for fantasy purposes, but I don't know. I guess it's mildly interesting in real football terms. Interesting is one word for it. I mean, entertaining might be another word. I mean, I, I think it matters for how high you rank the Raiders' defense. I mean, it's not it's not a good defense. They're already uh, right around 10th in their rankings right now. I think they might move up a little bit if it ends up being Baker Mayfield. I mean, I've never heard of a quarterback playing in a game two days after joining a team. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. You're obviously staying away from every part of this Rams passing game, though. And I mean, this whole Rams offense is the only reason you're considering playing the Raiders defense. It seemed like Seattle should have been a great play on defense against the against the Rams last week. Didn't end up being great, but they did end up getting home. They got like nine fantasy points, depending on the format. So much sack upside to the Raiders tonight. So if you're wondering what defense to stream and nothing looks good, the Raiders are better than they look. Um, And Baker Mayfield has been bad at allowing sacks. Like he's already played. He will be playing behind a bad offensive line. If he's playing, he's bad at holding the ball for too long and creating more sacks than what the offensive line is already doing. So yeah, good spot. It is Las Vegas at the Rams on Thursday night Raiders by six on the road over under 44 and a half in this game. Josh Jacobs questionable again with that calf injury. So that can only mean Jared that he's set up for big usage and another set of monster numbers. Exactly. He has a quad on the injury report now, too. But um, Tom oh. Pelissero already said this morning that he, he's going to play tonight. You're starting Josh Jacobs. You're obviously starting Devonta Adams. They've been two of the best players in fantasy football all season. I think that the fringy guys on the Raiders side. Well, I guess first, let's start with Derek Carr, who I think is a pretty solid play tonight. Um, he's just been better lately. I think he struggled getting comfortable in Josh McDaniel's offense early on this season. Just 232 yards per game on 6.8 yards per attempt over his first seven games of this season. 272 yards per game on 7.7 yards per attempt over his last five. He has 11 passing touchdowns over his last five games. No Aaron Donald tonight again for the Rams. Last week, their first game without Donald, 21st in overall defensive DVOA, also 21st in pass defense DVOA. So it's a good matchup for cards tonight. The only downside I see is that you know this is just kind of a game that's over by halftime. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. But I do think he's a pretty decent Week 14 streamer. Yeah, you said solid at first. That's the word I have next to him in my notes. He's 11th in our QB rankings, so he's somebody you can use. Not somebody that's likely to have a huge game, but you know, there's plenty of upside. I would go ahead and start him over Trevor Lawrence, who we're waiting to see on the injury status of. I would start Derek Carr also over Kirk Cousins, Deshaun Watson, Tyler Huntley, Mike White, Tom Brady, among other guys that you might be considering, I think. Yep, me too. Um, and elsewhere among Raiders, you know, you started talking about fringy plays, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro seem like they're nearing returning, but it looks like they're on track for next week against the Patriots. Obviously we have, we'll have to watch them for that one, but that neither is currently active, um, makes Mac Holland still in play. It means that we have to mention Foster Moreau's name, although he's even still outside the top 12 tight ends in a week where six teams are on by. 
Yeah, Hollins has been the better target bet among these two guys over the past four weeks without Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. Um, 21% target share for Hollins in those past four games, 7.3 targets per game. Um, so he's okay. Again, I don't think it's game where you're going to see the Raiders have to throw it you know, more than 30, 35 times. So I don't think you get huge volume out of Mac Hollins. But, um, and then Frost and Moreau, I mean, the route rates have kind of been where we want them, but just 4.3 targets over his last four games, uh, the Rams have been pretty solid in tight end coverage. So, um, you know, relatively speaking, I, I think Highlands is a better play among these two guys tonight. Yeah, neither are guys that you want to ju- like run out and grab to make sure you play him. Foster Moreau, I wouldn't even bother picking him up to start over Tyler Higby if that's who I have. I mean, we saw a weak 54% route rate from Higby last week. Moreau is ahead of Higby in our rankings this week, but Higby did still tie for the team target lead last week, got a 20% target share. So, I mean, I'm not saying that Higby's better than Foster Moreau. I'm just saying I don't think that you're really upgrading there. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I don't know. I I'd probably make the move from Moreau at this point, um, at this point of the year when you're just kind of playing week to week. Um, but yeah, it's not, there's not a big gap between them. On the Rams side, beyond Tyler Higby, Cam Akers becomes a question after scoring two rushing touchdowns last week. I think that if you need a Rams running back, I would play Cam Akers over Kyron Williams. But I mean, we have to remember that the week before Cam Akers scored twice, it was Kyron Williams playing more than Cam Akers and a lot more than Cam Akers in that game. So we can't say for sure that Cam Akers is the guy. We can say for sure that this backfield has been terrible this year. And I would say that probably the only reason Cam Akers scored twice is because they were playing a Seattle defense that's been pretty generous to the run. Yeah, terrible backfield all season, unpredictable all season. Only twice all year have the Rams had the same running back lead in touches in back-to-back weeks. It was um, Cam Akers back in weeks two and three, and then Daryl Henderson in weeks nine and ten. Other than that, it's been flip-flopping every week now. To me, it makes sense. I mean, it's it, it's still Cam Akers versus Kyron Williams. Like I know Akers has had a disappointing season, and who knows if he'll ever be the same guy after the Achilles. But like, it makes sense that he's going to be this team's lead back. So, like you said, he's obviously the guy to bet on tonight if you have to play one of these backs. Um, the Raiders are dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, so the matchup's good. I I think the Rams are going to try to run it as much as possible for mm-hmm. as long as they can, regardless of who's under center. So, like you know, again, a- Akers sits in RB three territory in our rankings this week. Um, that's largely because there's six teams on by. So he's not a guy I'd be wanting to play, but you know, I think he, he's okay if you need to go to him. Yeah, RB28 specifically in PPR. So, you know, that's in range for plenty of fantasy teams, but it's, it's not somebody to get excited about. Anything else from that game? Nope. All right. Jacksonville at Tennessee. Titans by four in this one. Over under 41, and we're going to have to play a little wait and see here because Trevor Lawrence has that foot injury. You know, it was it looked like a bad knee injury at the time against Detroit. It turns out that there was more damage to the foot slash toe area. The knee has checked out. Uh, and Doug Peterson said Wednesday, we'll have to see. He doesn't really know yet about Trevor Lawrence for the weekend. He would certainly not be the first quarterback this season to come back and play after an injury and then miss the next game. So, you know, it's really going to be have to be something that we watch through the week. And it, it's tempting to say, well, let's just forget about him because Trevor Lawrence let us down last week against Detroit. Uh, this Tennessee defense has not been great against the pass, but it's it's been okay overall as a defense. Trevor Lawrence, though, probably wasn't quite as bad as the numbers say last week. He was coming into that game off of three good performances. 
Last week, he finished 23rd in the league in completion rate, but 12th in Pro Football Focus's adjusted completion rate, which takes into account drops, accounts for throwaways. So, you know, it still wasn't a great week for Lawrence, but it's not like he went from three really good games to, oh, crap, there's the old Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, 18th in PFF passing grades last week. I, I thought he played okay. He, uh, the Jags had four drops, three by Zay Jones, one by Evan Ingram, obviously costing Lawrence yards and also probably costing, you know, those drives getting extended and potential for more fantasy points. So, again, yeah, I'm with you. He wasn't as bad as the box score would make it look. Um, the concerns this week, obviously, the, the toe-foot injury probably limits the rushing upside on Lawrence, which has been a big part of his game lately. He has 25 rushing yards per game over his last five um, the other thing too, is the Jacks have an 18.75 point implied total. It's the sixth lowest on the week. So you can pass on Tennessee. Um, it's a pass funnel defense. You know, the Jacks probably aren't going to have success running the ball. They're not going to probably try to run a whole lot. Um, so volume should be on Lawrence's side. Um, he, he has a wide range of outcomes, I think, as he has all season with the injury. He's a guy I would try not to use this week. Like I would use Derek Carr tonight over Lawrence for sure. If I was making that decision right now. Yeah, I think the injury question, even if he plays, gives a bit more downside risk than there is ceiling potential to Lawrence this week. For sure. Um, Elsewhere among Jaguars, I think Christian Kirk is still an easy start, really, no matter who's at quarterback for the Jaguars. Zay Jones, 30th in our PPR rankings. He followed maybe the best game of his entire career with probably one of his worst three drops, as you mentioned, against Detroit. That gives him just four on the year, though. So it's not like he has displayed a drop problem. He had a drop problem against Detroit. And we're going to talk about the Lions defense a little bit more later when we get to that game. This week, though, Titans are the best scoring matchup for wide receivers. So I would certainly assume that it's better for Zay Jones if Trevor Lawrence is playing, but he looks like a decent wide receiver three either way. Yeah, Zay Jones still got seven targets last week. He has seven plus targets in seven of his 11 games this season. So, you know, in that wide receiver three range, he is a pretty safe bat for volume. And again, this should be a pass heavier game plan from Jacksonville, at least at least as long as Lawrence is able to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tennessee has seen the league's uh, highest pass rate over expected all season. The Jaguars have passed at the sixth highest rate over expected over the past four weeks, according to the free article from Timmy Hernandez. You can read on DraftSharks.com right now. Travis Etienne, I am wary of this week. The Jags have showed us that they're not going to force the run. Maybe that's different if it's CJ beat hard in place of Trevor Lawrence this week, but we know how bad this matchup is against Tennessee and just to put a little different context on it than straight fantasy points. We've had nine running backs reach double digit PPR points against the Titans this year. Miles Sanders was the first guy in that group to do so without reaching five targets. He of course did run for a touchdown only rushed 10 times. So that was the Eagles not forcing the run against Tennessee last week. The average in targets for that group of nine running backs is 6.2 per game. Only one guy besides Miles Sanders fell short of six targets, and that guy had five targets. Travis Etienne, meanwhile, has seen 3.1 targets per game for the season in his full games. He has reached five just twice and never gone beyond that number. So I don't like I don't like the ceiling potential for sure for Etienne, and I think that there's risk to the point that I'm not scared to sit him mm-hmm. versus several other guys in the range that we'll get to throughout the show. Yeah, again, it's tough at running back, especially with six teams. Like, to me, the, the, and, and the, the matchup's definitely brutal. No argument there. Um, to me, it knocks ETN from an RB1 to an RB2. Um, he played 88% of the Jags' offensive snaps last week. 
uh, got 16 of the 17 running back opportunities. Jamichael Hasey like went away last week. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but again, you know, ETN that's that's a rare running back usage, and if he gets that again, I think he'll be okay, even in spite of the bad matchup. Again, uh, don't don't like him. Definitely downgrade him because of the matchup, but you know he's what like 15th in our rankings or so. Like you'd have to be stacked running back to sit him this week. Well, to me, it's you know it's it's splitting hairs at some point, but to me, the usage is what puts him inside the top 18 for this matchup, as opposed to, you know, I guess less specifically what knocks him out of the top 12, like specifically in that range. I like, I think Isaiah Pacheco is somebody who people will really realistically be weighing against um, Travis Etienne this week. And I, I would rather chase the upside of Isaiah Pacheco this week. Yeah. I don't think I'd argue with more upside for Pacheco. I just like um, Etienne's role better. You know, Pacheco still isn't doing much in the passing game, which I think hurts, hurts the, hurts the floor case. On the Titans side of this matchup, I, there's not a whole lot to talk about it, about this offense at this point. I'm primarily watching for any turnaround from Derrick Henry. He's had four straight down weeks against average to poor run defenses. Jacksonville comes in higher in DVOA than any of those past four defenses against the run. So, I mean, we kind of have to play Derrick Henry just because he's Derrick Henry and it's not likely that you have two more attractive options right now. But I would, I really need some kind of rebound, especially with the Chargers and Texans up next. That should just be smash matchups for him. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the matchups are so good, I don't think you're going to be benching Henry regardless of what he does in this game. But yeah, I mean, you you said down weeks. Like we're talking really down weeks. He hasn't topped 3.1 yards per carry in any of his last four games, and it's been on Henry too. You look at the PFF grades, 36th among 43 running backs in PFF rushing grades over the last four weeks, 28th among those 43 in elusive rating. This is when he kind of starts to get going usually too. And um, he seems to be slowing down. Now he's still getting nice volume. I mean, not massive volume, not like 25 carries, but he's been getting, you know, 19, 20, 21 carries during this last four game stretch, still getting some work in the passing game too. Um, 2.8 targets, 2.3 catches per game over the last four. So again, you're not, you're not sitting Derrick Henry. And this is a matchup that could get him going again. The Titans are favorites. I think, you know, that's important for Henry. You want the positive game script, but um, yeah, it would certainly be nice to see him have a more efficient game. Now, you know, of course we say generally you're not sitting Derrick Henry because in most cases, most teams are not going to have two guys that are above him. But, you know, check, make sure you check the rankings, check your team Intel page on DraftSharks.com because I'm sure there are some teams out there where you actually could have a couple of guys like, you know, Josh Jacobs was getting drafted well behind starter range. So if you have Josh Jacobs plus another early round running back, quite possible that Derrick Henry is your third running back this week. Looking at football outsiders numbers, he's just 21st in DR for the season on rushing. Um, he is 25th in rushing DVOA below average performance in that he is 29th among running backs in success rate, which measures how often a running back gets what is needed on a particular play in a particular situation. So it's going poorly right now by, by multiple measures. You know, most cases you're not sitting him, but there might be some cases where you do. Maybe that, maybe the freakazoid has finally hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. Finally got to happen at some point anything else worth discussing yeah. on the Tennessee side actually kind of quite a bit I want to I want to talk about the passing game in general because another thing we've seen over the past four games is Henry as Henry has slowed down is a, a shift towards the pass for Tennessee they've basically been a neutral offense in terms of run pass split um, over these last four games they're 16th and pass rate over expected over the last four weeks 30th on the season so they've, there's definitely been a shift um, and this is a matchup against Jacksonville. You know, we talked about it last week. They've been really bad against the pass lately, 31st 
in Football Outsiders DVOA over the last five weeks, 11th against the run. So they've still been decent against the run. So maybe we see even more of a shift towards the pass in this game. Um, I think that makes Ryan Tannehill an okay streamer. I mean, I prefer, you know, definitely Carr over him. I'd probably even roll with Lawrence over Tannehill in this game, depending on, you know, what we hear about Lawrence over the next couple days. Um, I think these tight ends are worth talking about, though, because, man, if you've looked at the tight end landscape this week, like, it's always bad. It's, like, super horrible this week with the six six teams on by. So I think Chico Conquo and Austin Hooper are in play. Um, Hooper seems like the safer floor bet to me. He's averaging five targets per game over his last four, uh, 16% target share. Then uh, uh, Chico Conquo, he, he's seen five targets in two straight games now. Season high route rate last week, 56%. Then we should also mention, too, that Traylon Burks is probably going to miss this game with his concussion. Um, so that opens up some targets for these tight ends. So, I, you know, both these tight ends – to me are in play as streamers this week because it's such a bad, bad tight end week. Yeah, certainly if you are looking down in lower ranges for an answer at quarterback, for an answer at tight end, even Robert Woods at wide receiver, they all make sense. You know, the the downside of them passing more is like, oh, okay, so that makes them maybe relevant as opposed to, you know, intriguing guys, even in this 16 by this week. Yeah, you're not going to get 40 passes. You might get, you might get 30. Mm-hmm. Um, Philadelphia at the Giants Eagles by seven over under 44 and a half Philly side is easy. You play absolutely everything in this game against the Giants. It's the final game that Dallas Goddard must miss on IR. It sounds like he's trending toward returning for week 15. So he's a good guy to pick up now if you can. For sure. Yeah. Um, my, my, uh, hopes and dreams in the fantasy playoffs, depending on Dallas Goddard getting back. So hopefully he's able to, um, I, th- I think Miles Sanders is someone you might be, wondering about just because he's been on a you know, bit of a cold stretch. I think three of his last four games haven't been great, um, but this is a good spot for him. Um, you know, we, we've seen the Eagles just adjust their game plans based on opponent all season. Like, you know, they went past heavy last week as they should have against the Titans. I think this is a game they could go run heavier again. So I think Sanders is a good volume, bet, a good touchdown, but. And that's the thing about Miles Sanders. I mean, you mentioned that he's been cold lately, but I, I, I would, I would counter that or at least say that that reality is a little bit different than that because he had 12 carries against Washington, which we know is a tough run defense. He ran pretty well, four and a half yards per carry in that one, but obviously limited production on limited volume, 13 carries against the Colts. Again, a defense that's tougher against the run 47 yards in that game. Then a huge one against the Packers who are a bad run defense and then muted uh, opportunity and production again against Tennessee, which plays the run tough plays the pass poorly. We saw them lean pass and do it well last week. So it's just a Philly offense now that's capable of doing what it needs to do in a specific game setup this week. Nothing scary about the Giants either in pass or run defense. So the Eagles should be able to do, you know, whatever they feel like doing on offense. That has generally included plenty of running. We've seen 15 plus carries from Miles Sanders more often than we haven't this season. So, yeah, he's got uh, lots of upside to him this week. And, you know, it, it's you you can see it reflected in our rankings. You were probably looking at him last week like, I don't know, can I really sit Miles Sanders after what he did to the Packers? You know, then he had the 10 carries against Tennessee. So just be willing to swing back and forth for the different uh, situations for them. Yep, and he's a good starter in season long. I think he's going to be a nice tournament playing DFS this week. On the Giants side, Saquon Barkley reminded us the last two weeks why we play him through struggles, disappointing yardage in three straight games for him, but touchdowns in two of those nine receptions over the past two. So you're going to go ahead and play him. It's kind of similar to Derrick Henry in that he's he's not giving us the yardage we need from a stud running back, but he's still ultimately not killing us with what he's doing. 
Yeah, the usage was back up again last week, too, for Saquon. 88% of the snaps, 23 opportunities. Those were his most opportunities since week 10. Um, the Eagles did get Jordan Davis back last week, their run stuffer. He only played six snaps, but the Eagles also got their best football outsiders run defense DVOA mark of the entire season. Um, and they have sort of been trending back up. So I don't think it's as good of a matchup for, for Saquon as it was like a month ago. Uh, but you know, you're still starting him because he's, he's still one of the best value bets at the position. And Darius Slayton is the other guy most worth talking about. I think we'll have one more guy that we really talk about, but Darius Slayton has topped 60 receiving yards in five straight games. Now he's been 70% playing time or more every game since week eight in that span wide receiver 22 in PPR scoring, despite only scoring one touchdown 32nd among wide receivers in target share. So the, the floor dips a little bit, although that's still in wide receiver three range, 18 point you, 0.2 yards per catch is the big selling point with him and how he is putting up his numbers. Yeah. I think he's a like a nice guy to have on your roster as a wide receiver three going forward. This is a bad matchup for slate in the Eagles tough against wide receivers in general. They're fourth in the adjusted points a lot of position. They're especially tough against outside receivers. That's Slayton. They're also especially tough against deep passes. They are the best defense against deep passes according to football outsiders and you know that's where Slayton has gotten a lot of his value lately he seems to be hitting a, a you know a big play every week um so he's lower in our rankings this week than he will be um for most of the rest of the season but I, I think he's still an okay wide receiver three mm-hmm. um Daniel Jones I I wanted to skip over and then I looked at his fantasy numbers and it, it wouldn't be comfortable to play Daniel Jones this week but he's got 20 plus fantasy points in three of his past four games yeah. now he's also scored 17 plus in three straight meetings with the Eagles. Obviously, none of those have come this season, so I'm not sure how much of a bearing it has on this matchup, but he's at least somebody that can be usable, kind of in the Ryan Tannehill range. Yeah, um, you're going to need to get it from his legs, I think. I don't expect a big passing game from Jones here. Um, He did match a season high with seven designed runs last week, Uh, so he continues to provide that – I'd, I'd, I'd go Tannehill over Daniel Jones if making that decision, but I think they're in the same bucket. I'd go puke in that bucket if making that decision. <laughs> yeah, me too. Anybody else from that game? Uh, can I, I We, we got to talk about these crappy tight ends this week because I, I think a so. lot of people are going to be needing to make these decisions. I think Daniel Bellinger yeah. is in the same tier as Austin Hooper and Chico Conquo. Um, 83% of their outs in his return from that eye injury last week. Uh, five targets in that game. He's averaging 4.2 targets per game over his last five healthy game. So, you know, not exciting, but you know, someone who can get you like five, six points if, if you need it. Yeah. I think that I would honestly lean Daniel Bellinger over either Titans tight end because it's one guy versus two. And yeah. he's somebody that you can have as that decent target bet the rest of the way. Yeah. It's me, Bellinger and Hooper, like the same guy. Chico Conco is like the upside play. I think he has them just because of his big playability. He has the potential to actually, you know, give you a, a big ish score. Mm-hmm. New York Jets at Buffalo Bills this week. Bills by nine and a half over under 44. It's Mike White and it's Zonovan Knight, who are the two guys for the Jets that I think you really need to figure out this week. The Bills defense hasn't been as good against the pass lately as it was early in the year. Had its worst game of the season against the Browns in Detroit a few weeks back, but it's still been solid to good around that and certainly better than either the Bears or Vikings defenses that Mike White faced the past two weeks so it's tough to just like completely push aside a guy who has thrown for more than 300 yards in his only two starts this year but it's also worth noting that even in those two games Mike White sits just 17th 
in pro football focus passing grade over those past few weeks. He threw 57 passes last week. Um, he, he wasn't very good. 54% completion rate, 6.5 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. He made some nice throws late in the game, um, but overall it was not a strong game. And this is you know definitely his toughest test yet. So to me, White isn't really a quarterback one option. Like I would play Tannehill and Daniel Jones over Mike White. I think he's a fine quarterback too. What about Mike White versus Tyler Huntley? Huntley. Yeah, I like the, I mean, you know, that's where it gets uncomfortable because we're talking about two guys with limited samples to draw from, but I think Huntley has a higher floor because of the rushing. And I don't think you'll lose anything on ceiling from Huntley to Mike White either. Agreed. Agreed. Um, White, White's blow up game last year too came against the Bills. And like you said, that Bills defense was better than this current version. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe some bad vibes from Mike White going into this game. <laughs> the backfield, meanwhile, Michael Carter not only returned to practice Wednesday, he's off the injury report completely. So it sounds like he should be good to go for Sunday. Robert Sala said of Zonovan Knight, he's not going anywhere. Now, I don't think any of us was assuming that Zonovan Knight was going to disappear with Michael Carter back. The question is, what's the touch split going to look like? We got Zonovan Knight controlling things last week, but that was obviously with Carter out with limited guys in the backfield with him the week before we had 14 carries for night, three targets versus 11 carries and four targets combined for Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. And it was Carter leading by a carry and a target at halftime before leaving with his injury shortly after. Right. It was at halftime of that game. It was six carries and two targets for Carter, four carries, one target for night. I don't know if Knight's play over the past couple of weeks has changed with that split's going to look. I honestly, it's tough to know how this is going to work. Um, I think it's safe to say Carter and Knight will both be involved. Ty Johnson might remain involved. I don't know. I'm I'm assuming James Robinson's going to be healthy scratched again, but we'll see. I mean, there's going to be three running backs active and potentially three running backs involved. It's not a great matchup. Jets, you know, road underdogs with a low implied total. It's, it's not a great spot. I, would say, you know, Mike White has continued to target running backs at an above average rate. So that helps both of these guys. Again, we don't know who's going to get the passing down work. I think it's probably going to be split. Um, you know, we, we still have Knight higher in our rankings right now. But, you know, both Knight and Carter are in RB3 range. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see it go either way between those two guys. The Bills have been softer against the run as the season's worn on, so there is some rushing upside there. If the game can stay close, if it can stay closer than the Vegas line says that it yep. will. I think that Knight has played well enough the past couple weeks to at least say that I doubt Ty Johnson remains a strong factor in this game and that it's primarily a split between Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight. But again, I couldn't say for sure which between Carter and Knight outscores the other this week. Yeah, I mean, the concern with Johnson is if he continues to play in, like, obvious passing situations, which I think is possible. Yeah, I think that should be Carter this week, though. If, if it's not, bam. I agree. And then Garrett Wilson, like, is worth mentioning just so that we can say Garrett Wilson. He's inside the top 24. We've got neither running back inside the top 24 right now, but Garrett Wilson is certainly up there. It would be hard for me to not play him on most teams at this point. Corey Davis, though, don't buy last week's stuff, which was inflated by that passing volume. Yeah, agreed. Um, Garrett Wilson had a nice game against Buffalo back in week nine with Zach Wilson under center. So, you know, he, he's an obvious starter. Elijah Moore, 74% route rate last week. He's, he's at least back to like a full-time player almost. I mean, you're not using him. You're probably not using him the rest of the season, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. He also apparently doesn't know how to drag that second foot. I know. That would have been, that would have been sweet. On the Bills side of this one, it's a really a similar deal on the backfield to the Jets. There's yeah. upside. 
but I don't know who's going to be the leader between James Cook and Devin Singletary. Cook was the flashy one last week. We still got a rushing score from Singletary, and he still edged James Cook in playing time. Right. It was what I think um, Singletary played one more snap than Cook. Cook ran one more pass route than Singletary. Um, I don't know how carries are going to be split. I think Cook is the better bet for targets. Just because, as we talked about, Singletary just hasn't been good in the passing game. He's done it on volume, but efficiency-wise, he has not been good. I think Cook's better there, so that that's why I prefer Cook among those two. Because I think he's going to get, you know, he's the better bet for targets. The issue here too, though, is Naheem Hines. You know, he didn't get a ton of touches, but his snap rate was way up last week too. He played thirty-one percent of the snaps. So playing time-wise, it was a three-man committee. That that's what kind of makes Cook and Singletary shaky fantasy plays. Yeah, I agree that if I'm deciding between them, I'm going Cook. I think that you just make sure you don't overtrust any of them uh, this week, especially especially Cook, because we've got really one game to go on. Yep. Gabe Davis, five targets, two catches, 33 yards in the first meeting with the Jets. His target share has been up lately. It's slightly over 20% over the past four games. So that makes him a little bit better bet than he was previously. This is the worst scoring matchup for wide receivers by our adjusted fantasy points allowed though. It's also the fourth worst for quarterbacks. So, you know, not an awesome situation for Gabe Davis. And Gabe um, is probably going to see the most of sauce Gardner What the bills did smartly in the first meeting against the Jets is they moved Steph Diggs inside to the slot for uh, 43% of his snaps, which was his highest of the season. Um, And that, you know, worked as far as Diggs goes, he had a nice game and I would expect the bills to, um, have a similar game plan here. That, that's bad news for, for Gabe, who's going to kind of, you know, just be on Sauce Island. And um, I would not expect this to be a spike week from Gabe Davis. Sauce Island sounds like an awesome barbecue place, though. <laughs> Great. Anything else in that game? No, I think Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox are the fringe guys in the Bills. And in, in this matchup where we you know, don't expect it to be a big game for the Bills offense, I would not want to use either guy. I agree. Although Dawson Knox is, is close to must-start status at tight end, where we're talking about Chigga Conquo <laughs> and Daniel Bellinger. Yeah, that's true. Baltimore at Pittsburgh Steelers by two and a half over under of you don't want to watch this game. We've got no Lamar Jackson on the Baltimore side. So it's Tyler Huntley. He's got six starter level appearances in the NFL over the past two years. I say starter level because a couple of them have been where he has replaced Lamar Jackson early in a game, but still played really a starter level of snaps. Here are his fantasy finishes. QB 18, QB 15, QB 1, QB 21, QB 29, QB 16. So I think that that Packers game is still doing a little bit of clouding Tyler Huntley for fantasy players in general. It's as long as you are thinking of him as like QB 16, that's where you should be. There's the upside that he, you know, runs an extra play into the end zone at any point, but he's not that QB one overall upside guy that he was in that one game against the Packers. Yeah, he's a pretty good rushing bat. He's, he's not Lamar Jackson as a runner, and the Ravens don't use him that way. If you look at the, the designed runs called for Huntley, it's been around like four or five per game in his starts, whereas Lamar, like this year, for example, has been at 8.3 designed carries per game. So he's not going to get as much of that work. I think he you know projects for like 40 to 50 rushing yards. Then the passing projection, like you can't be excited about it. Lamar Jackson wasn't even putting up big passing numbers. Lamar has been a low-end quarterback one for the past like two months now. So I think you can't expect Huntley even get to get to that level. Um, I really think he's a nice quarterback too. I know some teams might need to use him as a quarterback one this week because of the bye weeks, but like, you know, Derek Carr, I'd play over Huntley easily. Um, Jared Goff, I'd play over Huntley easily. I'd even play, you know, Kirk Cousins over Huntley easily in that, in that Lions Vikings game. 
Yeah, I mean, low-end QB1 is even friendly to the way that Lamar Jackson's been putting up numbers. We've had under 200 passing yards for Tyler Huntley in five of his six starter-level appearances. We have had 40-plus rushing yards in every single one. So that's the floor. That's what you like, especially in the range where we're looking at quarterback. He's basically Daniel Jones with less passing upside, it looks like. Yeah, and as you said, tough matchup, bad game environment. Like, I don't think you're going to get any ceiling outings from this game. Yeah, so not exciting. Also not an exciting backfield to try to play. It's a backfield to try to avoid after Kenyon Drake worked ahead of Gus Edwards last week. The other factor besides the crowded RB depth chart here is that Baltimore leads the league in the highest carry share for quarterbacks. You know, you just mentioned how they run it more with Lamar Jackson when he's in there, but they still do run it plenty with Tyler Huntley as well. 10 carries for him last week. Overall, 33% of Ravens rushing attempts go to quarterbacks. So, you know, that just shrinks the pie that's being shared by too many backs here. I don't think it's scary to sit any particular person. I would rather not play any Ravens running backs. I would play, you know, James Cook. I would play probably either Jet over any of these guys. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I guess shouldn't have been so confident in Edwards leading the backfield last week. I was. He he did not. You know, Kenny Drake played more snaps. He had more carries, had more targets. Um J.K. Dobbins might be back at some point, too, which would obviously, you know, make this a backfield easier to avoid. I mean, we probably we I, I don't think we were overconfident. Everything we'd seen, which was a limited sample. And I guess right. that the takeaway is uh, make sure that you realize even if it's both of the games where we saw Gus Edwards healthy, he was the backfield leader. That's still just two games. Yeah, it seems like a true, you know, hot hand situation where Harbaugh is just going to ride whichever back is having more success in that given game. Yeah, which certainly makes sense for them. And I think it'll be that way the rest of the season, even after J.K. Dobbins returns. On the Pittsburgh side, Najee Harris, no practice Wednesday. It looks like he's managing that oblique injury because he didn't practice, didn't practice, and then came back in full on Friday and was off the injury report. So it doesn't seem like we should worry about his status here. His playing time was in the normal range at Atlanta, 66% snap share, 71% of Pittsburgh running back carries. So he's a a solid starter this week. Yeah, got the 17 carries last week. Um, Didn't do much in the passing game, though. Finished with just one target, um, which is especially troublesome in this match because Baltimore's first in football outsiders run defense DVOA over the past five weeks. They're ninth in adjusted points allowed to running backs on the season. So, you know, not a good matchup for Najee, especially if he's not going to do much in the passing game. Yeah, as we talk about it, you know, I, I was talking about Travis Etienne in that range. Maybe Najee Harris is the one that I would drop even further because he's even a worse bet for receiving than Travis Etienne at this point. So I would play Isaiah Pacheco over him as well. Then we're getting down to like the splits in Tampa Bay, uh, yeah. Miami, Houston. So, you know, at that point, it becomes kind of a coin flip because you're talking about touchdown luck, but it, it's certainly not an mm-hmm. upside matchup or really a high upside role for Najee Harris at this point. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think we're too high on Harris's receiving projection right now, so we will bump that down after this. All right. Um, Elsewhere in the Pittsburgh pass offense, we got Deontay Johnson limited Wednesday with a hip issue. You know, we'll watch him through the week and see if he's ready. Then we've got George Pickens, who is basically Pittsburgh's version of Gabe Davis with a much worse quarterback and a much worse offense. Yeah, 4.5 targets per game for Pickens over his last four now. Now, he, he did, you know, come out and say he's pissed off with his role this week. So maybe he gets some squeaky wheel treatment. He you should know, honestly, like he, there, rookie. <laughs> he should be getting the ball more. I mean, you look at any number, he's been the better receiver than Deontay Johnson this season. Um, but I, I think both these guys are like low end wide receiver threes. And that's just because there are six teams on by this week. 
I agree that he should be pissed about his role. I also think that telling the media that as a rookie is not the way to endear yourself to Mike Tomlin. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the type of dude George Pickens is. I think he's going to have a lot more of these issues throughout his career, but uh, he, he's definitely still a talent I want to bet on. Um, but again, it's, it's tough to like him with the lack of targets he's been seeing lately. Yeah, and I'm not betting significantly on him in his current scenario. But, you know, if you're looking down in that range, he's okay. If it's George Pickens or Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I'm not <laughs> going to argue with you playing George Pickens. Yes. Anything else from that game? Nope. Um, I mean, you're starting Pat Fry. His usage has been down the past couple of games as Pittsburgh's gone run heavy. Um, but, you know, he's he's still like fifth among tight ends yeah. in our rankings this week. Just cause yeah, he's got light coming off him based on yeah. the current tight end scenario. <laughs> yes, for sure. Minnesota at Detroit Lions by two and a half. This opened at Vikings by two and a half. And you would think based on the Vikings lead in the division and the the fact that they could clinch the division this week, you would think that they would be the favorite in this one, but they're not. And I think that that's a nod to Detroit actually playing better lately. And it's been on both offense and defense. The over under here is 52 and a half. So it's also a more significant fantasy matchup than we probably would have assumed at the beginning of the season. Let's start, though, with injury, which, again, includes DeAndre Swift. He was limited Wednesday with the ankle, and they listed it as an ankle, not rest. So that's significant Mm -hmm. because last week, DeAndre Swift was off the injury report completely. Yeah, um, I was very disappointed to see that yesterday um, because I felt I felt good about Swift as like an upside RB2 play this week, Um, you know, highest snap rate since week eight. Last week at 51%, 14 carries his most since week one. Like they, they clearly expanded his role. Um, and you got to believe it was because he was off the injury report. Now we'll, we'll see what he does over the next couple of days. Like if he's full, full these next two days, like I'll still feel good about him. If he's limited, limited, questionable, he's probably going to you know slide back to, you know, low end RB2, RB3 range. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're at the point of the year where limited practice isn't even necessarily a bad thing for a player's status, but it is absolutely worth watching for Swift because Detroit has showed us that they're going to protect him if they're worried about any of his physical stuff. And, you know, when they do ramp up his work and then his body's like, oh, I need a rest on Wednesday. It's not a good sign. Yeah. I mean, I will, the Lions are still in the mix for a playoff spot. So, like, you know, they're not at the point where they're going to be resting guys just because their season's over. Mm-hmm. But they will take care of somebody who they don't want to injure long term. It's also worth noting there were a bunch of Lions that missed practice yesterday. Starting safety missed practice. One of their starting corners was out. Center Frank Ragnow was out. He hasn't missed a snap since week two. He played through a foot issue last week, was limited Wednesday and Thursday before a full practice Friday. So we'll see if that was kind of a rest day for him or if he is in question for this week. Left tackle, left tackle Taylor Decker was also out for Wednesday's practice with an elbow issue. He hasn't missed a snap all season. So, you know, I have to watch both of those O-linemen because this is a team that is led by its O-line. Yeah, I remember saying last week the Titans uh, or the Lions offense has finally gotten healthy and um, it's not quite the case this week. We'll see how it goes over the next few days. I think, you know, the O-line injuries matter for Jared Goff too, who I you know, think is probably the best streamer option at quarterback this week. Um, you know, he's... He's been playing well. As we've said, the issue is Jamal Williams had been stealing all the touchdowns. Goff got two touchdowns last week, and you know the result was a pretty nice fantasy outing. Um, the Vikings have not been good against the pass, especially lately. And the Lions have the third highest implied total this week at 27 and a half points. So you know, that's another mark in, in Goff's favor. 
What a crazy world we're in this week, Jared. I mean, Jared Goff, dare I say, a good option at quarterback this week. It feels strange, but as you said, he's been playing well. Four straight games without a turnover. He's got one interception among his past six. He's only taken seven total sacks over the past six games. So, again, we'll be watching that O-line. We'll be watching Swift to a lesser degree. Um, But the Lions have also been playing better. They have passed over the expected rate over the past four weeks. So we've got lots of Jamal Williams vulture touchdowns, but the Lions have been willing to throw the ball. We've also seen Vikings opponents being willing to throw the ball. They're passing over the expected rate for the season, even higher over the past four weeks. So, I mean, this could just be full on shootout conditions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the pass rate stuff because I was looking into that, the pass rate over expected numbers. And Detroit was basically neutral the previous three weeks. Last week, they were plus 12% pass rate over expected against the Jags, who are, you know, this pass funnel defense that we talked about. Um, Minnesota's a pass funnel, too. So I, you, you could see a pass leaning game plan from Detroit again. And that wasn't a game they dominated. So it wasn't like they needed it to score points. Yep. So they just they just okay. kept pumping. It certainly doesn't hurt either that the offense is healthier, as you mentioned, even with the issues we talked about. We do have Swift at least, you know, back. We've got DJ Chark back healthy. We've got Jamison Williams starting to get involved, which I don't think that Jamison Williams is going to be a fantasy factor on his own where we're starting him at wide receiver this season. But getting his speed on the field can only help the passing game in general. Yeah, Jamison Williams played eight snaps last week, so you obviously can't start him this week and. Uh, it's tough to imagine getting to a point where he's trustable. You know, you only have what four weeks of the fantasy season left. I do think DJ Chark's in play this week. You know, the target shares still haven't been great, but he's getting the downfield look. So if he hits, you know, one of those, you, you have a nice fantasy day. Um, the Vikings are 29th in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. It's just a game in general we want pieces of. So you know, Char- like I, it's I wouldn't. It's not crazy to start Chark over the Steelers wide receivers. Like I think he's he's in that range. I like I would start Chark over George Pickens um, because he's I mean, it doesn't it still feels odd to say it, but Detroit is a much better offense than Pittsburgh right now. So I think that makes Chark a better player than George Pickens. Yep, for sure. Um, On the Vikings side, we'll start on the injury report there as well, because illness could be a factor. We had five Vikings mispractice Wednesday with illness. ESPN's Kevin Seifert said he there were no positive covid tests among them, so. Don't know exactly what the illness is. We'll watch them throughout the week. But the group did include on defense, Daniil Hunter, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson. So if any of those guys miss the game, that would only help the matchup in the favor of Detroit's offense. Kirk Cousins, you know, you talked about him as a streamer option earlier, and I agree that he is an option. He probably seems like he's a better option than he really is, though. If you look at the season long matchup numbers, it still looks like Detroit is a great matchup for quarterbacks, but over the past five weeks, the lions actually rank third in football outsiders, past defense DVOA. Now I'm not saying sit your passing game pieces against the lions, but I do think that it should make you rethink cousins who has not been very good lately. He had the huge game against the Patriots, three much poorer outings surrounding that. Like even the big 357 yard game against the bills, he threw two picks in that one took four sacks. So it was one of those games where he got there on volume primarily. Yeah. Cousins hasn't been good all year. I think we've been saying that Um, I think the Patriots game was like his only impressive performance of the season. Um, And yeah, but the the Lions at third and past defense CBO is is crazy. Um, Just, you know, the amount of swings you can get and stuff like that. And I I don't believe they're the third best pass defense in the NFL. I think they're definitely improved from where they were early. We should probably treat them as, you know, a neutral matchup. I I think the reasons 
Cousins is a good play this week. It's really just a game environment, right? Like this game easily has the highest over-under on the week. The Vikings do have a 25.25 point implied total. That's ninth highest on the week. So I, I do prefer Goff in this game, um, but I do think Cousins is a, is a decent play too. Yes, I'll agree with him being a decent play. Also worth mentioning before we finish, Vikings 24th and pass offense DVOA over the past five weeks, Detroit 9th. So yeah. like every time I say Jared Goff over Kirk Cousins, I, I still chuckle a little bit, but like all of the indicators point to him being a safer and better play. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the Lions do deserve to be favored in this game, despite what their records would tell you. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that one? Cleveland at Cincinnati Bengals by six over under a 47. I think we all overtrusted Deshaun Watson last week. Uh, I'm going to lean toward under trusting him this week. I don't want to say eh, that was a mistake. Dump him because, you know, it was his first game in two years. Could quickly turn it around. But I also don't want to trust my week 14 lineup to Watson if I can help it. Like I'm probably playing most of the other quarterbacks that we've talked about to this point over Watson uh, in this particular game. Yeah, I, I think we said he had a wide range of outcomes and he just basically hit like the very bottom of that range. Um, and he, he was bad. PFF had him as the fifth worst quarterback on the week in their passing grades. Um, just missed a ton of throws low. It's like spiking throws into the dirt. It was weird to see. Um, but again, not totally surprising. I'm with you. I would not drop him because I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, any one of these next few weeks, things just kind of click for him and he's closer to old Deshaun Watson. But I, I definitely would not start him this week. Um, you know, that performance came against the Texans. You're, you know, not a good defense and the Bengals haven't been great lately, but I still think this is a tougher matchup for Watson than last week. Yeah. And I would think that performance, if anything would make Cleveland lean even further toward the run this week than they already like to do. I think Amari Cooper's fine. Um, yeah. Otherwise I would prefer to not start anybody besides Nick Chubb from this offense. You know, Donovan Peoples Jones is kind of in that wide receiver four range where we've talked about some other guys, maybe low wide receiver three, but his low volume, you know, general ways plus Watson's play last week would have me leaning away from him. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, Cooper got 41% of the Browns targets last week. Um, and he, he had a big game against the, the Bengals back in week eight, 135 yards in the score. So he's not like a comfortable play after what we saw last week, but I think in most cases you're starting Amari Cooper um, David Njoku back to a limited practice on Wednesday. So, you know, between the injury and Watson's play, I would not want to use Njoku this week, but, you know, at least he might be an option for us in week uh, 15. I mean, if he's all the way back by Sunday, I'm playing him over guys like the Titans and, and yeah. Daniel Bellinger and Foster Moreau. Yes, yes, I'm going to do there. I um, okay. would, like would like to see a full practice out of him, but we'll see how the week goes. But, yeah, if he's active, I, I probably would play him over those types. On to the Bengals, who got a full practice from Joe Mixon on Wednesday, so he should be ready to return from his concussion. And I think the question, more so than if you're playing Mixon, is did Samaj Ryan do enough over the past two weeks to make him a standalone play, even with Mixon back? What do you think? I would guess no, but I would say we'll see, and I, w- I would not risk it on using Ryan this week. Like if you have Pirine and he ends up getting 12 touches and you say, okay, maybe he's an option for me going forward. But um, I think it's possible that he just goes back to his old role, you know, playing on some passing downs. 
I agree. I mean, Samaja Pirine has been with Cincinnati since 2019. So they know him as a player. They weren't surprised by him the past two weeks. Fantasy owners might have been, but shouldn't have been because he was stepping into a role that has made Joe Mixon a good fantasy option, even when he's been inefficient. So yep. I agree. I would not play Pirine this week if I can help it. I would also try not to drop him because, you know, we've seen what he can be as an injury replacement and we'll see if they do give him the ball a little bit more going forward. Tyler Boyd with Jamar Chase back last week still ran a route on 90% of dropbacks and Hayden Hurst is now doubtful with his injury from last week. So there's room inside for Tyler Boyd right now. Freaking Boyd. I had him in, in a lot of DFS lineups and, you know, four for 60 with a what 20 yard touchdown drop. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the Hurst thing it's, you know, Mitchell Wilcox is his replacement. Hurst being out is just going to feed more targets to the wide receiver. So you're obviously starting Jamar Chase and T Higgins. And I think, I think Boyd's still a decent wide receiver three. I don't like him as much as I did last week, just because this game environment's not, not as good. Um, but I do think he's a decent target, but I tried to tell you not to like him so much last week. <laughs> Should have told me he was going to drop that touchdown. <laughs> that, that was so bad. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. That was Will Fuller stuff. Um, Houston at Dallas Cowboys by 16 and a half over under 45 and a half. Jared, have you caught the fever? Cause Davis Mills is back <laughs> for this game. I don't know who he's going to be throwing to. Cause it sounds like Brandon cooks and Nico Collins missed practice again today. Um, this, I mean, this game is just, you don't see 17 point spreads in the NFL very often. Yeah. I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that Houston's capable of scoring enough points to cover that 16 and a half point spread for this game. It, that's ugly. Nico Collins, like you mentioned, is probably out. Uh, so like the only player really worth talking about is Damian Pierce. And I'm going to try not to use him this week. So we got a, a rebound to some degree last week, 18 carries, 73 yards, which is a solid day in general, but you also have to put it in the context of him playing one of the worst run defenses in the entire league. So now they're playing what should be a better offense this week. Dallas, yeah. you know, just blew out. Indy. I think we're all expecting another blowout here. And like, I think that anybody can wrap their head around the Damian Pierce likely not being a ceiling play this week. So I think maybe the hurdle is realizing that it's not actually scary to sit him for this one. He's had five games without a yeah. touchdown of any sort. He's had seven straight games without a rushing touchdown. So even if Pierce comes out and has a fine game, even if they carry it 20 times and he averages four yards per carry, an 80 yard game with no touchdowns is not going to, you know, make or break your fantasy week. Sure. Maybe he outscores your five point running back that you play in his place, but we're not sitting a ceiling guy here. I'm not, you don't be scared to sit Damian Pierce this week. Yeah. He, he's had one ceiling game all season. I mean, he's, he's been a floor play and I don't think there's, a great floor in this matchup. I think, you know, last week, like you said, good matchup uh, against the Browns and that game. I mean, the, the Texans had the lead until late in the second quarter of that game. So you know, they were able to stick with Damian Pierce. This could definitely be more like what we saw in weeks 11 and 12, where, you know, the Texans lost pretty handily and Pierce had, you know, just, you know, 10 or so touches. Um, so now, all that being said, he's, he's like RB 20 in our rankings because the position sucks so much. Um, but yeah, I, I he, he's, de he's definitely not a must start. I would probably play either of the Dolphins running backs over him. I would play Rashad White over him, and I would play whoever is the Panthers starting running back over him. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think those are crazy. All right. On the Dallas side, play everybody. I mean, they're just going to do yep. whatever they want in this game. Yep. Yes. Sure. I, I will. So this is, I mean, we, we've talked about the Texans defense before and how 
know, they don't really give up points to the passing game because teams run on them so much. I, I was looking into the quarterback finishes against Houston. Only two of 12 quarterbacks to face Houston have finished better than quarterback 14. Um, I, I, I still think Dak's a good play. The Cowboys have a 31-point implied total. Like, you'd have to get super unlucky for all those touchdowns to go to, to the running backs. Um, but just interesting that Texans' run D has been so bad and their offense so bad that, you know, teams just haven't had to do a lot passing. But I do still think Dak's a nice play. C.D. Lamb's a must-start, and, you know, Schultz is close to a must-start at tight end just because the position's so bad. Yeah, I mean, don't be surprised if this week goes like last week for Dak where he throws 30 passes, he throws for 170 yards, three touchdowns. He's yeah. he finished QB 15, so – I don't this I don't think that this is a week to play Dak in DFS, but I it's also not a week where I'm looking for a replacement in my redraft lineup. Yeah, agreed. Uh KC at Denver Chiefs by nine and a half for this one, over under 43 and a half, thanks to the Chiefs being involved. Kansas City has been leaning run lately, though. And I say, you know, relatively, relative yeah. to where they started the season, not among the run heavier teams in the league. Last week, though, their second most run-heavy outing of the season against the Bengals, still about 60-40 in favor of the pass. Through week nine, though, the Chiefs were going 71.4% pass. Over the past four games, that's down to 64%. Broncos opponents are passing under-expected for the season and even further under-expected over the past four weeks. The Denver defense has been down versus the pass lately, but still better overall in that range than they are versus the run. So, I really like Isaiah Pacheco's upside this week in a game situation that I, I just expect to feed into any desire the Chiefs have to use him. They've shown at yeah. least a solid desire to give him the ball lately. Yeah, so like, you know, to put it in perspective, the Chiefs are still fourth in pass rate over expected over the past four weeks where, you know, they, they were first and it's it's definitely down. It's down from plus 14 percent to plus seven percent. So they are running more. They're still a pass leaning offense. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Denver defense stuff. So football outsiders DVOA over the past five weeks, 29th against the pass, eighth against the run. <laughs> so this is like totally flipped to being, you know, what looks like a pass funnel defense. The, the Chiefs will be able to do whatever they want in this game. I think, you know, all your passing game pieces are fine. I still think Juju Smith-Schuster is, is fine. He got back to full playing time last week. He didn't produce in the box score, but the playing time was there. So I still think he is a fine star. And then I do think Pacheco is a fine star. I think, you know, in this game, he should be able to get 15-plus touches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's uh, he starts out as like a mid to low RB2. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if he tops 20 carries yep. in this game and, and puts up some real good numbers. I agree. Juju Smith-Schuster is the guy to play among wide receivers. The next Chiefs wide out for us is Marquez Val Marquez Valdez-Scantling at wide receiver 44. Yeah, I even think uh, Jarek McKinnon's in play in PPR this week. He's 31st in our uh, PPR running back rankings, which, you know, it's higher than I'd like him, but, you know, that's that's what we're left with at this point. Um He's averaging 3.6 carries, but five targets over his last five games. He's actually 32nd among running backs and expected fantasy points over that span. So, you know, if you need an option in PPR, he's, he's okay. And is still in the picture near the goal line, which is key. Yeah. Yep. On the Broncos side, Jared, did you know that Russell Wilson has posted the third highest pro football focus passing grade? Um, oh, actually, he posted the third highest of week 13. It was his best of the season. He's sixth in yeah. passing grade over the past three weeks among QBs with multiple games in that time. It translated to one touchdown and QB 28 in fantasy points. Yeah, I can't say I watched much of that um, 10 to 9 Ravens win over the Broncos. I mean, Russ only threw it 22 times, so maybe that's how he you know comes away with a decent 
PFF grades. Just don't let him actually do anything. Um, you know, you're not you're not trusting Russ, obviously. Um, I, I think Jerry Judy is a fine play this week. Um, it looks like Cortland Sutton's not going to play. Now, Judy was limited in playing time last week coming off that ankle injury. He actually ran her out on just 41% of the dropback. So th- that's not good, but I would expect him to be closer to full time now um, in the second week off the injury. And he, he did still see four targets on his 11 pass routes last week. So, you know, his, his target rate's been pretty strong all season. And if he gets back to full playing time and there's no Cortland Sutton, like I think Judy is a good enough volume bet to be in play this week. I agree. Um, by the way, Mike White has 16 more fantasy points in two games than Russell Wilson has over those past three. Nice. Brandon McManus was out with a with a quad injury on Wednesday. The team says it's not concerned. It's not bringing in another kicker. So apparently we should expect him to be back. You know, he's coming off some good production. So I guess like you can wait and see on your kicker if Brandon McManus has been your guy lately. Greg Dalsich finally came through for us last yeah. week. I don't know if it's called coming through if it's so bad to the point that you stop using him and then he produces. Well, honestly though, he, he's a good example of why we look at route rates, right? Like if a guy is out there on that many pass plays, like he's going to produce eventually. Now it's going to be up and down because this offense is so bad. Um, You know, again, with Cortland Sutton out that, that helps Greg Dalsich too. So, you know, he is eighth in our tight end rankings this week. Yep. Should be fine. The the most significant place I had him, though, was a team that also has Pat Fryermuth. So I have since dropped Dulcich, and I'm done with him. <laughs> Fair enough. Anything else from that game? Nope. Tampa Bay at San Francisco, 49ers by three and a half, at least last time I looked, even though Brock Purdy is the yeah. starting quarterback over under 37. This game got moved out of primetime, which probably it probably bothers Tom Brady. I don't think he would ever admit it, but you got to think that him getting flexed out of primetime is annoying, although you know, maybe it, it helps sleepy Tom as we've talked about over the past few years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But I mean, with Brady there, I mean, there's no reason to like him as a quarterback one this week. I mean, for, for starters, he has only three top 12 finishes all season. Um, and then he gets this uh, 49ers defense first and pass defense DVOA over the past five weeks, their fifth and adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks on the season. And the bucks have the second lowest implied total of the week. Only the Texans have a low, lower implied total than Tampa. Yeah. The late comeback Monday night, it can make it easier to forget, but the pass offense still stunk for most of that game. He's wound up with two touchdown passes in three straight games, but it hasn't done a whole lot. Otherwise 49ers, as you mentioned, have been good in pass defense. They've been good in overall defense. Even last week when Tua wound up with two touchdowns at the end, he posted his worst full game passer rating of the season. So not a good matchup for a quarterback that has not been running particularly well. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, fine, but I think, I think it's not a high ceiling uh, week for them. It's not. um, I do think Godwin is pretty clearly ahead at this point. He has 11 targets per game over his last five. So the the volume is keeping him afloat. Evans is is allergic to the end zone all of a sudden, which is crazy to see. Um, I, I do think Evans is still a decent wide receiver too, though. Cade Otten outscored all other tight ends in fantasy last week, but did he really? He did. He ended up first in PPR because he caught six balls for 28 yards. Um, So it's important to remember though, that that followed a week of zero targets when Cameron Brait was around. Cameron Brait should be back this week. He missed Monday's game with an illness. Um, We also saw just three targets against a bad Seattle tight end defense the game before that. So I think it's more likely that Cade Otten is not helping you than that he is. 
Yeah, he's not in play if Bray is back, and, and Bray was a full go on Wednesday. Plus, this Niners tight end defense is, is really good, so I would not want to be messing with either of those guys. And then the backfield. Um, so we had Fournette kind of play slightly ahead of Rashad White in you know Fournette's first game back. Um, Fournette had 10 carries, 7 targets. Rashad White, 9 carries, 8 targets. So, I mean, they're, they're close in value. The matchup is tough, which hurts both guys. I think they're both like low-end RB2 plays this week. If you're picking between the two, though, it'd be Fournette for me. Yep, I would have to lean that way as well. On the San Francisco side, we've got Brock Purdy making his first NFL start. And Andy Dalton actually posted the best PFF passing grade of week 13. Um, so, you know, maybe there's some room for Brock Purdy to do something here. I think we're talking about two quarterback and super flex leagues, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Buck safety's Antoine Winfield Jr. Mike Edwards both missed that game, both still not practicing Wednesday. So that would certainly help the matchup. I think really we're looking at Purdy though, through the scope of what his impact is on San Francisco's pass catchers. And to me, I would expect him to be better for Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel on the target front than Brandon. Ayuk. here are the season average target depths for the San Francisco pass catchers. According to pro football reference, Ayuk 9.3 George Kittle, 6.0, Debo 4.6 McCaffrey 2.2. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. And we even saw that last week when Purdy came in, he threw 37 passes, 10 went to Debo, nine went to McCaffrey, seven went to Brandon Ayuk. Um, McCaffrey and Debo just run the higher percentage routes. I'm also curious. I I think you're going to see the Niners lean a bit more on the run with Purdy under center. I think, you know, McCaffrey is going to be a, a, volume monster now with Purdy under center. I wonder too, if Debo Samuel starts mixing in for more carries with Purdy under center. Um, so I think McCaffrey, you're obviously starting. I think Debo is still fine. I think Ayuk takes the biggest hit. I think he's like a wide receiver three now, probably still starting him in a lot of cases this week with all the teams on by, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think Purdy was a good college quarterback and I think he could be like a good NFL backup, uh, but really you're just betting on the Shannon. I mean, we've seen these backups put up, nice numbers in Shanahan's offense and there's enough weapons where, you know, I, I, I think the offense could be okay. I think, I think Purdy himself is only an option in two quarterback super flex leagues, but I think he can, he can, you know, be good enough to keep these other guys afloat. Yeah. We, what we've seen is that any quarterback who's playing for Kyle Shanahan does better than he probably should in yards per attempt. Yes, for sure. George Kittle, I've seen that there's some worry about his blo- him blocking more with the switch at quarterback, but he ran a route on 94% of dropbacks last week. And this Bucks defense has absolutely nothing scary in the pass rush. The only two players on the Bucks defense with more than three and a half sacks or seven total quarterback hits through 12 games this year is D-tackle Vita Vea and middle linebacker Devin White. So if there's any threat in the pass rush, it's coming up the middle, which George Kittle's not going to help a whole lot. Yeah, Kittle's routes have been elite all season. He's he's not getting targets, um, just four targets per game over his last five, 12% target share. Um, I don't know, maybe he benefits slightly too with Purdy if, you know, Kittle running short. Did, did you have the um, eight outs on Kittle versus the wide receivers? I might have two. Yeah, his is 6.0. Okay, which is what about the same as Debo's and lower than Ayuk? It's closer. It's a yard, uh, 1.4 ahead of Debo, 3.3 short of Ayuk. So he's closer to that shorter range than Ayuk. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's it's still tough to bench Kittle because you know the upside he's shown in the past. And again, tight end is so crappy. But um, I'm I'm, I'm definitely concerned about Kittle. I I definitely don't think he's, you know, a top three tight end going forward. I agree with that. But it's going to be tough to drop him past like seven or eight. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, anything else in that game? No. Carolina at Seattle Seahawks by three and a half. Somehow it opened at seven and, and changed to that. According to Vegas yeah. insider over under 44. I know I already went and bet Seattle as soon as you pointed out the line. And I went and bet more than I usually do on a single nice. game. because I, I feel pretty good about Seattle covering <laughs> in this one. Yeah, me too. Um, I was surprised by that line, which always makes me nervous when I think a line doesn't make sense. Um, I think you know, as you've been pointing out this week, I think, it's theoretically a good matchup for Carolina because the Seahawks Rundy has been so bad and that's what Carolina wants to do. So like if they can keep this game close and, you know, get Dante Foreman, assuming he plays, which is the other issue here, he's dealing with a foot injury. If they can get him to like 20 carries, I think, you know, they could be able to keep this game close, but um, yeah, I, I I'm with you on uh, Seahawks minus three and a half. Yeah. I mean, if it was like five, I'd be like, okay, my, <laughs> I'm, I'm good there. But I, I, I feel like Seattle has a pretty good shot of winning this game by at least four. I do think that Carolina will run plenty. Cause I mean, Seattle hasn't given us any reason to believe lately that it's going to blow anybody out. They needed a last second touchdown to beat the Rams with John Wolford last week. Uh, so I, I suppose I get it. Whoever is starting in the backfield for Carolina, Deontay Foreman's the first guy. We'll have to watch that foot injury mispractice Wednesday. So we'll see about Thursday and Friday. But if he's out, I think Chuba Hubbard becomes a, a sneaky play this week because Seattle's defense overall, it's 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So a terrific matchup overall. And, you know, like we said last week, they gave up the two touchdowns to Cam Akers. Um, even if we take out that Raiders game, Seattle has allowed the ninth most PPR points to the position uh, per game for the season. Yeah, definitely good matchup for the running game. For- Foreman said yesterday, he said 95% chance he's playing on Sunday. So I think you can pencil him in for now. We'll see what he does over the next couple of days. I just, you know, I, you like him more than I do this week. I think he's a fine RB two. I, you just have to realize the range of outcomes is massive, which is what we've seen from him. Even over these past half games, he has two top 10 half PPR finishes. He also has two games outside the top 40. Um, he's just a game script dependent back. He has uh, eight total targets over his last six games since the McCaffrey trade. So, you know, if, the Panthers fall behind in this game, you know, he's kind of kind of get scripted out. I, it's also worth noting too, in Carolina's last game, it was only like a 60, 40 split with Foreman and Chuba Hubbard. I know Foreman did leave that game for a bit with the foot issue, but you know, they did, they were working in Hubbard a bit more than they had been previously. Yeah. Five starts have gone 26 carries in that overtime loss to the Falcons seven in a blowout loss to the Bengals. 31 in a 10 point win over the Falcons, 11 in a loss to Baltimore, and then 24 last week in what ended up being not last week, last time out in what ended up being a 13 point win over Denver. So I, I don't expect this game to get to blowout proportions. Is it possible? Yeah, it's certainly possible that they get blown out, but I, I'm balancing that with a very soft run defense and an offense that really wants to run the ball. Um, let me get to the number third, most run heavy offense by pass rate over expected over the past four weeks, which, which of course is included in that five game starter run for Foreman. So I think overall, he's a very good bet for carries. And I think within that, a uh, very good bet for production in those carries. Yeah. I think he could finish the week as an RB one. I think he could finish the week as like a you know low end RB three. Hmm. Seattle's running backs could be ugly. We had no practice for Kenneth Walker, no practice for DJ Dallas on Wednesday. Travis Homer even was limited. I'm not playing any of them if Kenneth Walker is not playing. I'd I'd rather not. I mean, I think some teams are going to 
have to. So they also have, so they have Tony Jones on the active roster. They signed Wayne Gallman to the practice squad. They also have Darman Thompson on the practice squad. I remember him. He was the chief. So I think like seventh round pick that a lot of people were kind of excited about. Uh, yeah. I, the, the Seahawks have been leaning heavily towards the pass anyways. And I think if Walker's out, that's going to continue, um, which is obviously good news for Gino and DK and Lockett. I think those guys are obvious starters. Um, and then we're just going to have to see with their running back, see who's available. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, be going out of my way to start any of these guys. If Walker's out. Darwin Thompson was a sixth round pick, by the way, and you ah, did respect him properly. My bad Darwin. Travis Utah Homer's, state, Utah state, right? Oh Yeah. Travis Homer is sitting 29th in our running back rankings right now. I certainly would not play him any higher than that. I honestly would have a tough time playing him over Michael Carter this week. Um, I think he belongs in the same range with Jarek McKinnon, Kareem Hunt, um, you know, guys that we're kind of playing because we have to. Yeah, again, we'll see. Like, you know, if Homer is active and then Dallas and Walker are out, that would obviously help. I do think Allman could be involved. It's, yeah, it's, it's a mess right now. We'll hopefully know more by Saturday. Of course, even more reason to like Geno Smith and his wide receivers who are easily playing. Noah Fant has been decent lately. Now, Will Disley, first thing, did not practice Wednesday with a calf injury. His absence would certainly help Noah Fant. Um, Disley has seen three of his four smallest snap shares this season among the past four games. Noah Fant has played more snaps than Disley three of the past four games. He's also had four straight games of three-plus catches, which is certainly not big numbers. But yep. no other time this year has Fant uh, seen three plus catches in more than two straight games. So yep. it's a relative upswing for him. Yeah, Fant is our tight end 11 on the week right now, which, you know, seems crazy. But yeah, four and a half targets per game over his last four, which is, again, similar to like the projections on the Titans guys and Daniel Ballinger. But you know, Fant to me is still a better player than those guys. And he's in a better offense than those guys. So I would, you know, clearly prefer him. And again, our fan projection now has Disley playing still. If Disley's out, you know, Fant will, will climb even higher. He's going to skyrocket. He's going to get like another <laughs> target and like 0.6 more catches. I think he'll be tight end nine. Just, I mean, I think he'd pass okay. Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram for me if Disley's out. Oh, baby. Miami at the Chargers on Sunday night. Dolphins by three. It's up from one and a half for the Dolphins where it opened over under 52 and a half. So another potentially juicy fantasy matchup. Tua and Jalen Waddle both limited Wednesday with their injuries from last week. But I think we're expecting both to play. We'll obviously watch them to make sure that's the case. Jared, this is the question I got on Tua this week. Tua or Kyler Murray? Oh, man. I It'd be tough to bench Tua, but I I do have concerns. I mean, for one, he played his worst game of the season last week, just missed a ton of throws, which he hadn't been doing all year. I, I think he's going to bounce back, but, you know, he's still probably going to be missing both his tackles in this game. Austin Jackson, the right tackle, was placed on IR, so he's definitely out. Teron Armstead didn't practice Wednesday, so he might miss again. The Chargers pass rush is not nearly as good as the Niners, so that helps Tua, but he has this ankle thing. Waddle is, is banged up. Like we'll, we'll see what happens with him over the rest of the week, but you know, his, he was clearly hobbled in the second half of that Niners game. So I don't know if he's going to be a full go plus just in this chargers matchup, you know, we've seen teams go run heavy against them and, and Miami has shown the willingness to lean that way when the matchup dictates it. So you might not get the volume you have been getting from Tua. Um, now he could have a massive game because of these wide receivers and just the offensive scheme. So um, I don't know too. Uh, Murray's higher in our rankings right now. Right. Um, well, yeah, one I guess I would, I guess I would, I would trust that. But again, I, I think we'll see. I think Waddle's the big thing for me with Tua. Like if we think he's a full go, I, I would probably um, bump Tua up ahead of Kyler. 
I hope he's a full go then because Kyler just makes me feel nauseous at this point, betting on him over anybody with upside. We'll get to that game next, but yeah, we'll, we'll watch um, Jalen Waddle's status here. You mentioned it being a favorable matchup for running the ball. Of course, just before this matchup, we got Miami's offense giving us reason to not know which running back to trust. Yeah. We had been watching Jeff Wilson lead things. He had the disappointing adding against, what was it, Detroit the week before? Um, Houston, yeah. Oh, yeah, Houston. And then we had Raheem Mostert come back, like, all the way back from injury last week, start the game. Of course, it was a bad game for the entire running game, so it's not like anybody showed out and earned anything. But, you know, the last time we watched them play, which was last week, was Raheem Mostert working clearly ahead of Jeff Wilson Jr. in limited game for both of them. So it's like a Rashad White, Leonard Fournette situation right now where my lean, if I'm choosing between them, is toward the guy who worked first last time out, but I absolutely can't say for sure that it's uh, Raheem Mostert over Jeff Wilson. Yeah, I think if you were doing one of those like blind resume things that they do, you know, for like the college basketball tournament, um, and you had like Jeff Wilson, who I mean, so Jeff Wilson, his first game with the Fins, he it was immediately a 50 50 split. Then in game two, Wilson took the lead, and then in this third game together, it was back to Mostert. I don't know, I, I would still lean Wilson, I think. You know, one, we obviously don't know. Two, I think either way, it's probably going to be like 60-40 in one direction or the other. And again, in this matchup um, where I think Miami could run more than usual and they should be efficient running the ball, I, th- I think both Wilson and Moster are solid plays. One of them will probably have, you know, like a top 15-ish week, whoever, you know, gets more of the work. But I think even the other guy, you know, could be like a, you know, borderline RB2 type of guy this week. I think it's quite possible that both of these guys score in this game. So, you know, let's hope that most people listening just have one or the other and aren't choosing between them. It's really a coin flip, though, if you are choosing between the two players. Agreed. On the anybody else from the Dolphins side? Nope. On the Chargers side, it's a pass favoring matchup. It's an upside spot for Justin Herbert. Was a little bit disappointing against the Raiders last week. Did still manage a QB eight finish, 335 yards, one touchdown, took five sacks. So the protection has not been an issue for most of the year, but it looks like an issue right now, at least in part because they're very pass heavy. So it makes it easier for the defense to know what's happening and attack in there, that area. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing working in Herbert's favor. I was super disappointed by how he played and even produced last week, considering the matchup. It's another fine matchup here. I mean, not as, as good as last week's was, but um, you know, the game, as you said, has the high over under the Chargers have a pretty nice implied total. Well, again, on this side, we'll have to see about the injuries. Um, you know, Mike Williams being the big one, I think he was limited in Wednesday's practice. So he has a chance to return from this game on the O line too. Um, Herbert was missing his center and one of his tackles, you know, one of his backup tackles last week um, because they've had so many injuries at that spot. So we'll see if he gets those guys back. Uh, Corey Lindsley, the center was limited in Wednesday's practice. So I think he has a chance to return. That would obviously be good news for Herbert. Mike Williams was limited Wednesday. So we'll see about him first time since week 11, when he returned for six snaps against the chiefs. Now we're going to have to watch him closely because the last time he returned from that ankle sprain, he said, Oh, I feel great. I forget what his percentage was. It was like 200% or something (laughs) like that. He was around for six snaps and then he was gone again. So you know, we'll, we'll be watching his specific status before deciding where he winds up in the rankings. You can watch and see where he uh, ends up there. You know, that's going to also affect Josh Palmer, of course. Yeah, there hasn't been a single game this season with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams healthy um, throughout the game. So, we, you know, we haven't really seen what that's going to mean for Palmer. With Williams, I, I would try not to use him, um, you know, in, in his first game coming 
back from aggravating a high ankle sprain, which are already tough injuries to return from. We saw the risk in his last game when he only made it through what you said, six snaps. Um, So I, you know, there's upside there, but I would, um, if you have other viable options, I would keep Williams on the bench this week. Donald Parham might be back as well. Designated Wednesday to return from IR, been out with a hamstring injury. So we'll have to see this week if he's going to be ready for that game, but that would potentially knock Gerald Everett's floor at least. For sure. Yeah. Everett's been tough all season. I mean, their route rates just haven't been where we want them. They've you know been in the sixties for the most part. He has had games where he's seen nice volume, including last week, you know, six targets caught five of them for 80 yards. Um, and the matchup's good against Miami, you know, 28th in adjusted points allowed to tight end. So I think, you know, Everett's in play, but you know, he, he has a wide range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else from that game? Nope. New England at Arizona to close it out on Monday night. Patriots by one and a half on the road in this one over under 44 and a half. And so here we've got the Cardinals who I've been ragging on for most of the season. They are home dogs in prime time against a six and six Patriots team that just, just finished losing by 14 points at home. It's gone under 300 total yards in five of the past six games. We got them one and a half point favorites against this team. That's what makes it hard to bet on anything Arizona the the New England side first though we're going to see about Damian Harris open this week not practicing missed the last game against the Bills with the thigh injury obviously Ramondre Stevenson is in starter territory either way certainly his upsides higher if Harris is out yeah we were arguing whether Stevenson should be number one or number four among running backs. So, you know, obviously if you have Ramondre Stevenson, you're starting him. He played, I mean, he played 98% of the snaps in that Bills game. You don't see that out of running backs. And um, I would expect similar usage if Harris is out. Yeah, got unlucky by getting zero carries in the fourth quarter after falling behind by 17. Jacoby Myers, short of his usual playing time against the Bills last time, coming off that Thanksgiving shoulder injury. But it was at least, you know, a step up from his return to that game on Thanksgiving should continue to improve with the long week. Uh, He's not a great play, but he's a fine play in this one. And there is upside if he does come into this game and get full playing time. Yes, definitely watch his practice participation. You know, if he gets into full practice or is not listed on the injury report um, on Saturday, I'd, I'd feel fine about using him as a wide receiver three. Nothing about the Patriots matchup scares me about Kyler Murray, but we do at least have, you know, very experienced defensive coaches on the New England side where I wouldn't be surprised if they limit what Kyler Murray does, if they limit the receiving in this game, you know, just if they cap things and that that's what scares me about playing Kyler over Tua, who we've seen the ceiling with, with him and his receivers this year. Yeah. I mean, the the low implied total that you mentioned for Arizona, you know, is the knock against Kyler for me, just 20.75 points. They've had low totals for most of the season though, deservedly. So, Um, but you know, Kyler, his last three outings, quarterback, three, quarterback, six, quarterback, four, he has Deandre Hopkins and Marquise Brown. Now um, elsewhere, it looks like Rondell Moore is going to miss this game. I mean, we'll see. It's still, you know, a few days away, but it it looks like Moore is going to be out and Dorch is going to play, which, you know, helps Murray at least a little bit. And I think it does make Dorch, an okay PPR option, you know, he, he'd been getting good volume, but that, I think, you know, that all that came without um, DeAndre Hopkins or Marquise Brown, right? I don't think Dorch has a full game with both of those guys. I don't think you're going to get, you know, the 10 target game out of Dorch with Brown and and Hopkins healthy, but I do think, you know, six, seven targets um, is a reasonable projection for Dorch this week. Yeah. Kingsbury said earlier this week, he hopes to get more Dorch back, but certainly it looks like Dorch is closer. Um, Either of those guys probably reclaims the slot lead, which 
just, you know, further muddies the picture here. Not only have we not gotten a game with one of those guys and both of the outside guys, we've got one game so far of Hopkins and Brown together. And it was without those two slot guys. So Marquise Brown played a lot more in the slot than he normally has this season. 73% of his pass snaps came in the slot in week 12. Before that, he had topped out at 33.3%. So that makes it, you know, even harder to project what the target share is going to be here because that mm-hmm. slot has been a high upside target spot. You mentioned it with Dorch. It's been the same with Rondale Moore. The guy in the slot has gotten the ball a lot this year. So I don't know what to say about Hopkins versus Marquise Brown in terms yeah. of target share. If both guys are outside this week. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we're still finding that out. I think um, both guys are like mid range wide receiver two is pretty, pretty, you know, they're, they're still both good Malian bets. Yeah, it's a solid spot for both. It's not a scary matchup at this point. So I agree that both both are fine plays. And, you know, when you're weighing the two against each other, it's it's funny. It's something you have to do for projections, obviously, but it's ultimately something that like there aren't going to be very many fantasy rosters that are making that decision. Which guy, this guy or that? Yeah, guy. yeah I think if you're starting both guys, you're in fine shape. You know, they're both in the top 18 in our wide receiver rankings this week. Can I can I close the show with one more um uncomfortable tight end. Oh play. God. Don't kind tell me to theme. play Trey McBride. No, it's not Trey McBride. It's Hunter Henry on the other side. Ooh. Um, the targets haven't been strong for Henry. Just 11 targets in the three games since the, the bye week, but he has 76, 74 and 78% of the routes. You know, his, his route rates had been sort of going up and down all season prior to the bye, but it's been consistent in the three games since. And this is a really good matchup for Henry against the Cardinals 31st and adjusted points allowed to tight ends. Football outsider says them 30th in tight end coverage. So Henry actually, I like better than the Titans guys and uh, Ballinger. I think I like Fant a bit better than Henry, uh, but you know, th- those two guys, I think are the two best um, guys on the waiver wire that you might be able to pick up this week and use. I agree with all of that. And even though it's only been 11 targets over the three games, that has included two straight of five targets. So, you know, both of those were high volume passing games for yeah. Mac Jones, but you know, maybe we get another one of those in this one against an Arizona defense that has not been uh, too tough against the pass. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week 14 preview edition of the podcast. Make sure that if you're not playing out redraft teams, you go ahead and play some pickums this week or some over-unders, do some daily drafting on either sleeper or underdog. You can find links to get your initial deposit matched at the bottom of this podcast, either or both site. I'm playing on both of them at this point. Um, even though I do have teams still alive. So it's fun stuff to do. And you can check out my free my free article highlighting the top early plays on the underdog pick'em slate on DraftSharks.com now. Even if you're not a DS insider, you can go read that. So that's a good way to keep fantasy going, even if you're out of the playoffs or even just to supplement. So for Jared Small and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us.